What's up, everybody? Welcome, episode 556 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here. It is January 18th, 2024, and I've got a special episode here for you. The Padres Mount Rushmore. I'm sure that some fans have had this discussion before with friends, or they've heard it on a radio show or seen articles written about it, seen debates on social media. But I think it's a fun thing to do. And so this is just putting it out there. This is obviously my Padres Mount Rushmore. There's no official Padres Mount Rushmore, but I think that this is the correct Padres Mount Rushmore. Now, in a decade, in a decade, maybe it changes. Maybe there's a player added, someone that's on this current roster. But as of now, here are my four Padres human beings, I should say on the the Mount Rushmore, because this is not just players. This is not, you know, Tony, Trevor, Randy, Winfield, and four right there. Like, there's other figures on this Mount Rushmore here, which I, I think is very important to include, because this is the entire Padres franchise. This isn't just players on the team, but other very influential people in the history of the San Diego Padres. And I'll have some honorable mentions. And obviously I love hearing from Padres fans. So feel free, put it in the comments here on YouTube. What is your Padres Mount Rushmore? Do you disagree with my Padres Mount Rushmore? I'm on social media, Twitter, X, Instagram, at Talking Friars. So you can give your thoughts there as well. And later today, I will be posting uh, my image of my Padres Mount Rushmore that I reveal right now. So let's get started with the first guy. And these aren't ranked. It's just for Mount Rushmore. Tony Gwynn, obviously, that's the first guy that I've got to list here. Um, Hall of Fame inductee, Cooperstown 2007, Mr. Padre, the best Padre that there will probably ever be in the franchise's history. Eight batting titles, 15-time All-Star, five Gold Glove Awards, Still kind of boggles my mind that he never won an MVP. I was listening to Baseball is Dead, and they were talking about how Tony Gwynn should have won an MVP um, one of the years. I forget what year, what exact year they were discussing. Was it 80? It might, it might have been 1987. He placed eighth in it, by the way. But he hit 370 with a 158 OPS plus that year, a 447 on base percentage. I mean, look at Tony Gwynn's years. I know batting average is not everything, but when he did play, batting average was valued much higher, I think, than it is valued now. And when you're consistently having a batting average over 300, I'm sorry, that is super impressive to me. And obviously, I've never reached anywhere near Major League Baseball playing-wise. That is super impressive. People might say, oh, well, it's a slap hitter, doesn't have a lot of power. He hit seven home runs in 1987. But he still led the league in hits, 218 hits. He still led the league in average at 370. And that was nowhere near what his highest average was in his career in any single season. So it's just super impressive. And just finding a way to get on base, that should matter. And Tony did that better than pretty much almost anyone while he was playing 
Major League Baseball. I mean, look at these averages. His worst average of his career was 289 when he was a rookie, and he only played 54 games that year. And that was obviously a much different Tony Gwynn than when he was a vet and really knew what he was doing in the box at the big league level. He had a lot of experience at the big league level. He hit 289 that year. But then after that, 309, 351, 317, 329, 370, 313, 336, 309, 317, 317, 358, 394, obviously, in the strike-shortened year, 368, 353, 372, 321, 338, 323, 324. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. This guy had a 20-year career, 19 years, if you don't include 1982 when he didn't even play half of a major league season. 19 of those 20 years, but 19 seasons where he played at least half a season. 19, all 19 of those games, or all 19 of those seasons, I should say. Well, 2000, he played 36 games. But, okay, so 19 out of the 20 years that he was in Major League Baseball. From 1982 to 2001, he hit over 300. He got MVP votes. If you look out on the baseball reference page, MVP votes in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years. I don't need to make a case for Tony being on the Mount Rushmore. I'm just going through stats of how freaking impressive he was. And in the postseason, how did he do in the postseason here? 338 career average, 3,141 hits, hit 371 in the World Series combined in 1984 and in 1998. Career in the postseason, he hit 306. I'd say that's pretty good. 737 OPS, but again, like he wasn't the, the biggest power guy, obviously. So he still had some pretty impressive postseason numbers. I know it was limited playing time, limited amount of opportunities, but still super impressive, has a statue. I mean, obviously, he needs to be on the Mount Rushmore, and he is. He has a street named after him, obviously, at Petco Park, around Petco Park, and so does the next guy, Mr. Trevor Hoffman, my opinion, the greatest closer in baseball history. Maybe I'm biased, maybe Yankees fans will call me an idiot, but I think Trevor One, he was the first one to 500 saves, first one to 600 saves. When he retired, he led the league, Major League Baseball history, I should say, in saves with 601 before before Mariano Rivera passed him. But Mariano Rivera made it to the postseason in 17 of his 19 seasons because he was on the Yankees. Trevor made it four times in his 16 years. If Trevor made it as many times as Mariano made it, or shoot, and change it from four postseason appearances to 10 instead of 17 even i think that maybe some of the narrative of how oh trevor didn't pitch that well he wasn't on mo's level in the postseason maybe that would have changed because there would have been a bigger sample size but his career save percentage i believe is like 89 over 89 percent and he had to do that all of those 40 plus save seasons that he had which was nine by the way He had to do that on not New York Yankee teams. You know, he had to be really good when he came into games. So retired, obviously, as I said, MLB saves leader, went into Cooperstown Hall of Fame in 2018, as he should have. Definitely a Hall of Famer, one of the best 
pitchers of all time, one of the best relievers of all time. And if he's not the best closer of all time, he's the best National League closer of all time. That's for dang sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he was just super impressive. Seven-time All-Star. And if you go to his baseball reference page, I mean, there's some baseball reference pages that I can look at, and I'm like, man, I can just go through so many stats and just go over how freaking impressive these guys' baseball reference pages are. And when you go to Trevor, I mean, how many sub-three ERA seasons he had as a reliever? And that's not easy to do. 1994, 1996, 1997, 98 had a 1-4-8 ERA, 53 saves huge part of that team that made it obviously to the world series and ran into like one of the best teams of all time 214 era in 1999 sub three era again in 2000 2002 2004 2005 2006 2007 went to milwaukee those last couple years i I was wishing that he would just finish his career with the padres and just be a you know a full padre Uh, i know that he's with florida for a little bit but Really, like, don't go to another team. Go just stay with the Padres. But he wanted to keep pitching, and he posted a 183 RA in 55 games with the Brewers in 2009 when he was 41. Like, that's impressive, too. I know that's not Padres, but just looking at his career, super impressive. Top five Cy Young finishes 2000, or excuse me, not 2000, 1996, 1998, finished sixth in 1999. Finished second in 2006. Top 10 MVP finishes as well a couple of times. I mean, Trevor Hoffman, obviously, on the Mount Rushmore. So, Tony, Trevor, obviously, those are two that come right off the top of your head. Trevor also, obviously, has a street around Petco Park, right next to Tony Gwynn, um, his street there. Like, now is the hard part, right? Where, okay, well, for me, it wasn't hard, but... I think for some fans, you get you go past Tony, Trevor. All right, now what is next? Are you going to go Jake Peavy? Are you going to go Dave Winfield? Are you going to go Randy Jones? No, not going Steve Garvey. That guy shouldn't even have his number retired, in my opinion. And I think a lot of fans share that opinion. But where do you go? Do you go a GM? Do you go a manager? Where do you go? I go with someone that saved Padres baseball, and that is Ray Kroc. I was not alive during this, but I definitely have read a lot of articles and books about the Padres and the history. And so for anyone that doesn't know, maybe a younger fan as well that doesn't really know, I'm going to go over the Ray Kroc story about him buying the Padres, saving the Padres from going to Washington, D.C. And there there were some baseball cards actually made up of the Washington team. I don't think there was a team name on those baseball cards, but I was reading an article the other day from, I think, Anthony Castrovince, and he detailed that. So you can look that up um, if you're interested in that. But here's how it went. Conrad Arnold Smith, he was not a fit to own the Padres. He owed a lot of money. Revenue was not coming in. I was reading stuff about how players would get checks on Friday and they'd be asked not to cash them until Monday. Like, stuff like that. And having quotes about how how if every fan in San Diego came, they'd be pretty good in terms of revenue and bringing in sales. And that's obviously not what happened. So he was selling the team. It was going to be sold to a D.C. grocer, Joseph B. Danzansky. 
11 National League owners approved it. Even the president, Richard Nixon, approved it. He had he didn't have to approve it. That's not part of the process. But he had a quote about that, approving that. But the city of San Diego threatened to sue for $84 million because there was an agreement, I believe, with the stadium. And so you would be leaving that agreement, obviously, if that team is going to be sold and moving to D.C. Smith did not want to deal with that. He kept trying to keep the team in San Diego. There was, I forget the name, but there was one guy that was interested, and but it didn't really seem as a fit. Kept looking around, looked like maybe D.C., but then Ray Kroc, reading the newspaper one day, he he's asking his wife, hey, maybe, I think he was in Chicago. He's, he was a Cubs fan growing up. Hey, maybe, let's, let's go buy the San Diego Padres. What do you think? Didn't seem like she was that big of a fan of it, Joan Kroc, but um, they ended up doing it for $12 million, which I think was the same price that uh, Dan Zansky was going to purchase the team for. But yeah, $12 million to buy an a franchise. Imagine that happening today, right? But yeah, $12 million. And he saved the Padres. He want, Smith wanted to keep the Padres in San Diego. Croc said, yeah, of course. Keep the Padres in San Diego. And then he raised the level. And I'll get more to raising the level of the franchise here. But he raised the level. Because it was not at the level that it was when Croc was owning. The level... Before that, before Croc took over, was like doing the minimum. Viewing it as a business is what I have read. Is And some older Padres fans, you can let me know in the comments if I am saying this correctly. I hope I am. And I'm representing it correctly. But before, it was, I'm going to take as much money as I can out of this. It's a baseball team, but it's it's a business. Like, I'm trying to bring in revenue here. This is a way that I can bring in revenue. When Croc took over, it raised the level. You look at the success of the teams. I mean, the Padres never made it to the World Series before Ray Croc took over, right? He passed away, sadly, and then Joan Croc ended up being the chairman, the, the owner. And during that World Series run in 1984, they go to the World Series later in the year after uh, Ray Croc ended up passing away. And Ray Croc, by the way, he passed away January 14th of 1984. So... It was before the 84 season started, but there was the RAK patches, obviously. They make it to the World Series. And, like, it gave San Diegans, I would imagine, joy that they hadn't experienced with that Padres franchise, obviously. So it just raised the level. And I would not be wearing this hat right now, maybe. Or the Padres, definitely. I would not be a huge Padres fan if it were not for Ray Kroc saving the Padres and keeping them in San Diego. So... I think he deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore for the San Diego Padres when he saved the San Diego Padres from going to Washington. I don't know if they would have been called the Washington Padres. I don't know what they would have been called, but good thing it did not happen. And hey, D.C., they ended up getting a team anyway, and they have a World Series before we do, which is which sucks, but that's that's the way it is. Nationals obviously winning in 2019, Padres haven't been to the World Series in my lifetime since 1998 was the last time, obviously. So, so far, I've got Tony, Trevor, Ray Kroc. Let me know if you agree, disagree with that decision. And my fourth one, it had to be Peter Seidler. And I don't think this is 
uh, bias towards, oh, he just passed away. You're just doing this because he passed away, so you want to honor him. No, I think he deserves it. Like, does a player deserve it more than Peter Seidler? I guess that's something, a conversation that we can have. Does Dave Winfield deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore over Peter Seidler? Does Jake Peavy deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore over Peter Seidler? Does Randy Jones deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore over Peter Seidler? You know, like, owners, they literally control the club. You know, a player can only do so much. The owner is the one that has to have the, the thought, like, I'm not viewing this as a business. I want to bring joy to this city. I want to win, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win. I'm willing to spend money. I'm willing to embarrass small market owners that they say, oh, I don't have the money. They cry poor, but they're really just viewing it as a business, and they're just trying to spend as least amount of money as possible, bring in the most amount of money so that they, they can have the most profit. But Peter Seiler did not view it that way. And, by the way, he was an awesome human being as well. The Padres payroll under Ron Fowler, and I, I like that Ron Fowler was passionate about the team when he was going on doing interviews. And for example, when Matt Kemp got traded and the comments there and how Matt Kemp obviously pissed off Padres fans with the, le the, the player tribune, I think it was the letter that he had there and talking about how he's not going to let uh, it happen. What happened in San Diego, you know, being perceived as a, a bad teammate or like doesn't care. I think that's what he said. Uh, I'm not going to do that in Atlanta. Kind of like Sean Maniah, right? Where, you know, Ron Fowler was pissed off and it's like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to have this guy on my team. I, I like the passion that he had, but he did not invest in this franchise financially the way that Peter Seidler did. And that was obvious. 2019 payroll, the last year, last full season that Ron Fowler was the, the full chairman the the lead guy of the organization the payroll was six a little over 63 million 63.068 mil 24th in major league baseball that's not you know anything out of the ordinary at that time right padres were we were used to having low payrolls like that right but then peter seidler takes over 2021 the first full season he is the the lead guy, right? Takes over in 2020, 2021, the first full season. They didn't make the postseason that year, but the payroll was 115, a little over 115 mil, 115, or excuse me, not 115, a little over 155 mil, 155.211 mil, sixth in Major League Baseball. So in 2019, 24th in Major League Baseball. In 2021, just a couple years later, sixth in Major League Baseball. And the investment just continued. As he was the owner, it kept continuing, and it's, it just kept going up. And you could tell how much he cared. And he, whether fans like moves, disagree with moves, extending guys, he wanted fans to be able to go buy jerseys in that Padres team store. He wanted fans to know, yep, you can have Machado on the back of your Go get that jersey. Go get the Jake Cronenworth jersey. Go get the Joe Musgrove jersey. Go get the Fernando Tatis Jr. jersey. You know, go get those guys. And Bogarts, whether we like it or not, go get the Bogarts jersey. Like, because these guys are going to be here long term. We're not the Oakland A's where you can't go buy a player jersey because the guy's going to get traded in a year. Or he's not going to get traded, but he's going to play out the contract and you're not even going to offer him anything back because you know you're not going to keep him, right? No, 
we're investing in this franchise. So he raised the level of expectation. He raised that standard. And that standard is always going to be high now, or at least it always should be high now because of what Peter Seidler did for this Padres organization. You know, Ray Kroc raised the level when he was there. Peter Seidler raised the level higher than it ever has been. And in 2022, they make the postseason. They go to the NLCS. And instead of just sitting there, whether we like the moves or not, he kept spending. And he was like, yep, we are getting a superstar. Got Xander Bogarts, $280 million. Extended Darvish, gave the extension to Musgrove during the 2022 season. Had Manny. That contract extension was not happening until Peter went into Peoria and said, Manny, you are going to retire as a Padre. You're going to go into the Hall of Fame as a Padre. Here you go, $350 million, 11 years. He treated fans with respect. He treated human beings outside Petco Park with respect. And he brought hope, excitement that Padres fans had not experienced in a long time. He brought that back into Padres fans' hearts, into the lives of us, right? And so, yeah, he deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore, in my opinion, over any other player. Maybe this will change, but, I mean, Manny Machado's here, and he's going to be here the rest of his career because of Peter Seidler, right? Fernando's going to be here the rest of his career because of Peter Seidler. Musgrove's going to be here the rest of his prime, and hopefully the rest of his career, because of Peter Seidler with that contract. He has changed so much about this organization and raised the level, and he got it to the level of where national people were complaining about the Padres spending too much. Is it going to be sustainable? And now some of them are correct, which sucks, but he had Dick Monfort complaining and Rob Manfred talking about it. All these teams, he made small market owners look stupid. And in San Diego, like we weren't used to that. We were used to being laughed at because the Dodge now the Dodgers, they're still winning a bunch of games against the Padres, but the Dodgers always had, you know, the the big market, high payroll, the superstars. And the Padres were viewed as like what the Padres, they're a major league team with some of the players that have been on this team and with the payrolls that they have had. But he changed that. And are the Padres the most talked about team right now? No, but they were. Last off season, right? I mean, they were coming off 2022. And everyone was talking about the Padres. Fan Fest, what happened? And I know that fans look back on that negatively and all that. But all the fans that showed up, all that support, you think that would have happened if Ron Fowler was still the chairman of the team and not spending a ton of money and investing as much as San Diego deserves on players to help build a championship caliber team? or at least attempt to build a championship-caliber team? Do you think that FanFest would have looked like that? Do you think that the Padres would have gotten as much season tickets purchased as they did without Peter Seidler? Do you think that they would have broken those records? I, I, I don't think. I mean, someone else could have come in. Maybe someone else would have taken over for Ron Fowler, and they would have spent just as much money. Maybe, but... Like Peter Seidler was the perfect guy, I think, to you know steer this thing in the right direction for the San Diego Padres long term. And he has he raised the standard, right? 
I was listening to Nick Saban talking with uh, Reese Davis when he retired from being the head coach with Alabama recently. And he talked about how this past season, he, the standard, he has such a high standard, he still didn't meet that standard, and he was disappointed. And Alabama got to the college football playoff semifinal, and they almost won that game at the Rose Bowl against the team that eventually won the national championship in Michigan. But he had a, such a high standard, and he still thought they didn't meet it. Like, the standard was winning a championship. And I think that's the standard that Peter Seidler had. And that's the standard that I think Padres fans had because of Peter Seidler in 2023, coming off of 2022, and the expectations. Shoot, that was the standard by, for a lot of experts. Like, Padres, yeah, they're going to go to the World Series. That's what experts were thinking going into 2023. And a lot of that was because of Peter Seidler. Of course, you give credit to the players for the work that they put in and wanting to come to the Padres and A.J. Preller for making a lot of things happen in trades and, and the coaching staff and uh, development guys. So many people that contribute in an organization that we don't even think about, right? Obviously. But you got to have the investment, the care by the lead guy, the top dog in the organization. And there's plenty of Major League Baseball franchises. There's plenty of sports franchises, not just baseball, that don't have that. But we were lucky enough with Peter Seidler to have that. And I think he has changed the direction of the Padres forever. And so, yeah, he he is on my Mount Rushmore. And I, I don't see how you can have me take Peter Seidler off. Unless Manny ends up being like, the second best Padre or the third best Padre of all time. And he's a hall of famer and the Padres go win the world series because they've never done that or Tatis. Right. And then that can change. And then we'll have to be making some tough decisions here. Right. Cause at the end of the day, like it is about winning, but for now you can't change my mind. I don't think I'd love to hear your thoughts. Maybe you can change my mind, but I don't think you can. This is my Mount Rushmore and I'll put it up on the screen for the YouTube audience here. Ray Kroc, Trevor Hoffman, Tony Gwynn, and Peter Seidler. Let me know what you think in the comments on social media. For the podcast listeners, I appreciate you. YouTube audience, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This has been episode 556, Talking Friars, Padres, Mount Rushmore. Shout out real quick to the partners of the show, Gaglione Bros, Famous Cheesesteaks, and Garlic Fries. Great cheesesteaks, garlic fries, main location on Friars Road. Check them out. Their website in the description. Um, they're at Petco Park inside Snapdragon Stadium. Underdog Fantasy, they'll give you a 100% deposit match up to $100 if you click that link in the description or use code TALKINGFRIARS. Same code for SeatGeek, $20 off your first order there. You can save it for the Padres season or go do some other events. Boco, they've got some great Padres bobbleheads, collectibles. Click the link in the description for that. And same thing with Breaking Tea, some Padres, Aztecs, and Wave shirts and sweatshirts there. Thank you, everybody, for the time. And let me know your thoughts. I love talking with Padres fans. That was my Mount Rushmore. What is yours? <laughs>